Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's July 27, 2012, and this is episode 345. It's been a busy week, hence the late podcast. Sorry about that. This week was made a lot busier, though, by a few unfortunate, to say the least, events involving lack of clarity and sometimes even opacity in the marketing of big-name companies. So here goes with a rare but very much needed MVP rant fest. The main reason I've been busy this week is that I've been working hard on the planning for the Pixels to Pigment workshops and seminars, which are now open for booking. So if you're thinking of joining us, do go over to the pixelstopigment.com website and take a look at that and you'll learn how to take full control of your digital workflow and color management, remove the stress from printing and free up mountains of time to enjoy your photographic life to the full. Sign up today while there are still seats available. <laughs> Seth Golden would love this. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm going to put our good friend Canon uh, in the batter's box first. Although this is something that I have already mentioned in our recent Canon EOS 1DX DSLR review, you might remember that pretty much the only negative comment I had about the 1DX was not about the camera, but about the software. Specifically, the EOS utilities lack of support on the Mac OS X 10.7 platform for tethered shooting with the newly added Ethernet port. I have since been to Canon Inc. offices for a, a different reason, but while I was there, I was able to meet with someone from the camera product line and I couldn't help but mention this. I was told that they do, of course, understand the importance of the Mac platform and seemed somewhat embarrassed about the situation, but they said that there was nothing that they could do about this on this occasion. My main point to Canon was that I understand the complexity of software R&D processes. I worked in software development for 15 years, but when you can't provide support for something, especially a new flagship feature, it is common courtesy to let your valued customers know. It didn't necessarily need to go into the more permanent user manuals, especially as an updated EOS utility will be made available at some point. But a little bit of paper in the first few batches of boxes out of the factory telling people that EOS Utilities does not yet support Ethernet tethering would have been enough. They could have apologised, softening the blow somewhat, and guided people to a web page to check for updates or even sign up for an email notification when support was made available. I also know that it's policy with many large companies not to give out firm dates as to when software updates will be available. And of course, it's against corporate policies to promise something that you possibly can't deliver. But I doubt very much that Canon will not be able to develop the necessary software to support Ethernet tethering on the Mac OX. If they weren't confident that they'd fix this with an update, they would have a much, much bigger problem on their hands with false representation. As it clearly states in the manual that all of the tethering features that you have 
when using a USB cable are supported over Ethernet. Okay, so next to the plate is Adobe. If you follow my blog and not just my podcast feed, you might have seen a post that I couldn't help but throw out earlier this week about why I have to dump the Adobe Creative Cloud. I'll paraphrase a little here, as it was quite a lengthy post, which I suggest you read if you are using the Creative Cloud and could possibly be away from the internet for more than seven days. Basically though, I noticed that my Creative Cloud subscription payments were being taken from my credit card on the 10th of each month. And this triggered a connection to my leaving Ushuaia in Argentina on a ship down into Antarctica on November 10th this year. I started to wonder what would happen if I had no internet connection on that morning to authenticate my Creative Cloud license. I couldn't see any way to force the authentication or even tell if it had been carried out or not, so I called Adobe Support. Well, I was told that basically there is no way to force the authentication process and if it didn't happen before I left Ushuaia, the software would stop working. I'd literally be dead in the water. Having discussed this in the comments of my blog and the Google on Google+, it turns out that although the guy I spoke to at Adobe was wrong about the grace period, he basically said there was none. Uh, I would probably have up to seven days using the software. It would, though, then stop working until I could get to an internet connection again. There is no way to pay in advance and set a longer license period. Hell, Adobe even sell three-month prepaid licenses off the shelf in computer stores. Why can't they do the same online? Or just do a yearly subscription? I would stick with the cloud if it wasn't for this problem, so signing up for a year in advance would be fine. Oh no, though, the guy on the phone, his first bit of sage advice was for me to buy an additional standard Photoshop license because that is the one application from the suite that I can't live without. When I told him that I owned a full CS 5.5 Master Suite license, his advice changed to cancelling my Creative Cloud subscription and buying a new upgrade license for the Master Collection instead. I have to tell you, I was flabbergasted. Other than telling me about a poxy 5% discount that they were already throwing out during the 5 minute wait time on their non-free dial support line, and making it sound like he was doing me a favour, there was no offer to discount for the 3 month subscription fees that I'd already paid, or any assurance that this problem might be fixed in the coming months or so. And there is of course that fear of false representation lawsuits again, so I understand that part but I couldn't really believe what I was hearing. My point here though is the same with Canon. There was no mention of this when I signed up for the Creative Cloud subscription. As a cautious business owner, I sat down and did the math. I won't go into the numbers again here as they're in the earlier blog post, but basically if Adobe stays on their roughly 18 month upgrade cycle along with the discount for the first year for the Creative Cloud subscription, I stood to pay a few dollars extra over the 18 months for the clouds, the first 18 months of the cloud subscription. I could live with that though, 
as there was no lump sum payment up front and I'd have the benefit of rolling updates and some web services as a subscriber. If I can't get some way to authenticate my license in November though, and this will happen again, possibly in February and May next year, on other lengthy tours. Currently, my only option is to dump the Creative Cloud and go back to the standard license. If I have to do that, I'll be asking for not only the Poxy 5% discount, but also a, a refund of the subscription fees that I've paid so far. And I should reiterate that I love Adobe products and generally like the Adobe experience, but on this occasion, I think they've failed. If not in the implementation of the cloud, they sure failed by not providing this information up front. I did think about this possibility when I signed up for the Creative Cloud, but foolishly expected that a great company like Adobe would have all of those bases covered. And if they didn't, they'd have made it obvious on the subscription sign-up pages. I was wrong. Okay, so that's two strikes and now Apple are on the plate. Having read about the new AirPlay mirroring feature that was released as a part of the macOS Mountain Lion 10.8 release a couple of days ago, I decided to finally buy an Apple TV box. I often show visitors photos and videos on my large TV using an HDMI cable which I have to draw across the living room to my MacBook Pro or an iPad which doesn't look great. With AirPlay mirroring though you just hook up the Apple TV, turn on the MacBook Pro with Mountain Lion installed, click the little icon that will appear when an Apple TV is detected on the same network and your desktop mirac miraculously appears on the TV screen. Totally wireless, totally smooth. Or so I thought. I initially connected up my third generation iPad which worked flawlessly. My iPhone 4 is one generation too old to support displaying the screen but the music and videos etc all play flawlessly too over Wi-Fi. But for the life of me I couldn't get my 18 month old MacBook Pro to work. I can use AirPlay from iTunes and the music comes out of the TV along with the album art etc but I could not share my screen. After a few hours of messing around with this at 1am I posted a quick comment on Google Plus and went to bed. When I got up this morning there was a link from a kind Google Pluser Daniel Yates alerting me to the fact that my 18 month old MacBook Pro was one generation too old. I bought it a few weeks before the Thunderbolt versions were released and AirPlay mirroring doesn't work with my hardware. I'd read through all of the blurb about AirPlay mirroring on Apple's Mountain Lion new features page and all I'd seen was that it enables you to mirror the screen of a MacBook Pro to an Apple TV. I keep my eyes open for those little ones and twos next to words and read footnotes when I noticed them, but I'd not noticed a thing. As I prepared for this podcast, I went back and I triple checked and finally noticed a little faint light grey one after the AirPlay title. And lo and behold, at the bottom of the page, there was a footnote pointing out that AirPlay mirroring 
was to for that to work, you needed an early 2011 MacBook Pro or later. If I wasn't aware that the MacBook Pro line was updated after I bought my early 2011 model, I would have still been flummoxed. I imagine that most people know the difference though, so we'll let that drop. This little one was probably there all along, and I just didn't notice it. So I'll give Apple credit for providing this information, but they certainly made it easy to overlook. So I guess I can forgive Apple, assuming that this little one was there all along, but it sure feels like a crafty little bunt giving them enough time to scramble their way to first base, or maybe more like a steal while the pitcher's looking the other way. It's not at all bad in this case though, as I'd wanted an Apple TV anyway. Since learning about the compatibility problem, I'd resign myself to the fact that it's not going to give me AirPlay mirroring from my MacBook Pro, but at $99, it's still a great little addition to my collection of Apple devices. It will enable my wife to rent movies easily when I'm not around, and I can still show photos and videos with home sharing because they're stored on my Mac Mini that I have turned on all the time as a file share, a file server. For the sake of this rant fest though, the fact still remains that it was AirPlay mirroring that tipped the scales on both the purchase of Apple TV and the upgrade to Mountain Lion. It was this shiny new feature that pushed me that little bit further and prompted me to buy that little black box and the well camouflage number one against the, the section header hadn't been enough of a warning. It turns out though, again a testament to the power of social networking. Just as I was finishing up this post and ready to start recording, another kind G Pluser, Jeremy Hodges, came to the rescue with a link to an application called Air Parrot that literally gives you the same if not better desktop mirroring from Mac machines via the Apple TV. And yes, it works with my MacBook Pro, it's $9.99 for a single license. So I tested it and bought it straight away. Brilliant. Thanks, Jeremy. I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well uh, because it really does work well and I think they have a Windows version as well. So here's the crux of the matter. I know that all marketers are liars. Seth Godin told us all about this. It's the stories that they tell that make us want to buy things. But I, for one, am getting pretty tired of large corporations spouting about all of the nice new bells and whistles and often truly useful new features that they're building into their new products but then hiding the conditions under which these new features will work either behind a bit of a smokescreen or on some support webpage that you have to be told about when you're looking for answers on long phone calls with support engineers. In two of these three cases, these major players had failed to readily provide information to their valued customers ahead of the purchase. It took me a whole morning trying to get the Ethernet tethering to work on the 1DX before I gave up and called support and heard that it didn't work. Canon's hands were tied in letting people know about this proactively as someone with 15 years experience in software product development, I feel for them. 
But that doesn't help the customer that's just spent thousands of dollars on a flagship camera and lots of their own valuable time trying to see what they've done wrong. All Adobe can do when I ask them about their major flaws in their new baby, the Creative Cloud subscription model, is ask for more money. Do you think that photographers, you know, one of the major users of Photoshop, will always be within seven days of an internet connection? Sure, probably 99% or more of them will. But what about that other 1%? I don't know the numbers of Photoshop users worldwide, but I'm sure it's got to be around 10 million, which would give you potentially 100,000 very annoyed users if we all jumped into onto the creative cloud and found ourselves in the middle of nowhere with no Photoshop. I market products myself with my fine art prints, photography tours and workshops, and I go to great lengths to ensure that people understand exactly what they're getting. I go to greater lengths to remove obstacles that would harm my customer's impression of me and all my products. Nobody ever asked me how easy it was to take my fine art prints out of the, fo- the postage tubes. But you know what? If you just roll up a print and put it in a tube, it expands and fills the tube and it gets damn hard to take it out. So... All of my rolled prints get a little piece of paper rolled around them with the words tear this away to unroll your print, printed all around it. This stops the print from unrolling inside the tube so when the customer opens the tube the print can be slipped out freely. Sure, the above companies do a great packaging job too, especially Apple who make the unboxing of their products a major part of the generally excellent user experience so i'm not saying that they do this particular stuff wrong my point is that even a little guy like me goes to great lengths to make my customers happy even when they don't expect it i'd just like to see a little more transparency from these big companies and their marketing techniques so that i don't have to feel as though i'm being tricked into buying something from a company that I've decided to place my trust in. I hope that you can tell that parts of this week's podcast were a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but there sure is a good-sized dollop of disdain at the root of all this. Thanks very much for listening today. Remember that you can find me on Google Plus and Twitter, and links to everything that I'm up to are at the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com, so do drop by and take a look. I'll be back next week with another episode But in the meantime, you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye.